The following pendant production contains mature subject matter. Listener discretion is advised. Hello, and welcome to the commentary for The Kingery, Season 3, Episode 5, also known as Episode 29. I'm Perry Whittle, I'm the director, and with me today is Pete Milan, who is the writer of this episode. Hey, everybody, welcome. how you doing? Welcome, Pete. Thank you, nice to be here. Yes, isn't it lovely? It is. It always is. Um, let's see, before we get into it too far, let me say that the music for the previously is a song by David Alexander MacDonald called Thea Von Harbo. And I think I'm saying that right, H-A-R-B-O-U. Thea Von Harbo was an actress and a screenwriter from the early days of film. She wrote M and Metropolis and other formative movies. Wow, worked with a lot with Fritz Lang then. Yes, yes, she did. I think she might have been married to him for a while, or uh, perhaps just closely associated with him. Um, so, Pete, yes. the title of this episode is The Awkward Phase. Would you care yeah. to explain a little bit about what you meant by well, that? Um, I have a, I have a real problem finding titles for my scripts. Um, mm-hmm. uh, this is my third King Reese script, and the only one I, uh, I had a definite title for from the beginning was The Certainty of Chance, uh, which is a... Uh, that's named after a, a Divine Comedy song. Um, I mean, it's just... Uh, I was just, you know, spitballing titles uh, for, you know, an hour after finishing writing. I mean, what do I call it? What do I call it? And I said, well, we got hooks and... Debbie, and that's awkward, and Regina and Roberts, that's awkward. And that's very awkward. We'll call it the awkward face. Okay. Mm. Very good. Yes, and we have, we begin with Hooks and Debbie uh, in a compromising situation, which was not really in the outline when it was, uh, when it was devised. Right. Yes. Yes. But I appreciated that. I play Hooks. And um, I don't know if Lexi Rawl appreciates that. She plays Debbie. Probably not. Well, I mean, it's not as though anything happened. I, I, I remember during one of the Kingery chats, it was, you know, probably the, uh, the we were going over the script for uh, the previous episode because mm-hmm. I was, you know, working out what I was going to do in this script. And I had the horrible notion of what if Debbie and Hooks woke up in bed together. But when I sat down to write it, I realized... There's no way Hooks is going to take care, you know, take advantage of a situation like that where Debbie is, you know, all messed up on extremely dangerous drugs. So it became uh, close to the situation we uh, we have here. Right, right. And um, I wanted to say I, was, I, I wanted to um, fend off any criticism here. Oh, first I have to talk about the song. In the background we have Knife Sharpener's Jam. Um, and uh, one of the um, bad things in audio theater is what we call floating heads. Uh, in one of our uh, chats, Pete, one of our commentaries, you, you had said that footsteps were the bane of your existence. Yeah. And um, I just wanted to point out that it's not like these are floating heads. The footstep foley is there. It's just bare feet on shag carpet in the far, far distant future. Now, I used my time machine. I went to the far distant future. 
I visited the whorehouse, okay, I took my microphone and my recorder, and I recorded myself walking back and forth on that carpet, but i got to tell you, it is really quiet. It is really quiet. So if anybody has a problem with floating heads in this scene, you got to write to Debbie and Tithia, tell them to yell at their interior decorator, and... The other thing is you can't send an email because you'll just get a bounce back. You have to send snail mail and wait 2,000 years. You can't see it, but I'm smiling and nodding encouragingly. <laughs> yeah, go ahead. Send those, send those cards and letters. You, it's not 2,000 years in the future, is it? My goodness. No, no, I was exaggerating <laughs> there. Everything else is the exact, uh, the God's honest truth, but that was an exaggeration. Okay. So, let's see, we have, uh, now we have Catherine Pride playing Tithia. She's also in the scene. Yes, she is in the scene. Um, and uh, it's a little, you know, it's you know, your basic wacky, uh, you know, wacky misunderstanding scene, except, you know, Debbie is sort of dying inside because, you know, she's sort of finally achieving a bit of a connection with her daughter, but she's, you know, she, she feels like she's done it in the wrong way, and she just doesn't feel very good about herself right now. Oh, it's so sad. She's proud of me. She thinks I know what I'm doing, and I'm still fucking up. And she's going to find out, and she's going to hate me. Yeah, it's sad. Be completely alone, and be and so, of course, it's nice that Hooks is there to comfort her and say... Comforting things like, are you talking to me? <laughs> yeah, it's a little, uh, little more comedy than we normally get in a uh, in a Kingery episode. I try to, I try to bring as much wackiness to the show as I possibly can. Yes. Yeah. Now coming up, Debbie gives uh, Hooks a key, and you didn't have anything that indicated where that key came from, so I added no, a, an opening of a drawer sound so that we wouldn't have to wonder. I'm just assuming that she took out her, you know, she took out her keys and wallet and everything before she stuffed her clothing down the incinerator chute. Okay, all right. Thank you for explaining that, because I was... Let, let me explain it. I'm dumb, and uh, I don't check these things very thoroughly. So that's why that happened. Well, you know, all of us in the writer's chat, we took a look at that, and we just went right through it. Didn't bother any of us until I was mixing the thing. Yeah. When it's too late to do anything about it. Yeah. Yeah, well, except for added the sound of a drawer. Or, you know, I could have added a bunch of other stuff and made it work some other way, but I was too lazy to do that. So now we have the next scene. We have uh, Pete Milan playing Tommy Arkell. I've heard of him before. And M. Sierra Garcia playing Major. Yes, the, uh, the Team Supreme. The, the Team Supreme. The dynamic duo. Yes. So what was that song that you started the scene with? Uh, that song is uh, from the Pirates of Penzance, and I'm huh? not sure that I think it's the title is "With Cat-like Tread We Something Something Something." It's it's ah, with yes. cat-like tread upon our way we steal in silence tread our cautious way we feel. You know, it's the one that goes da 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 da. Anyway, that's the one. That's the one. All right. Yes. So Gilbert and Sullivan. So Tommy Arkell is a Gilbert and Sullivan fan. 
Right. Yeah, there's no reason a career criminal can't uh, admire the works of Gilbert and Sullivan. That's right. He's he's an onion. He's got hidden layers. Yes. Him and Asa both. Yes. Now, what was it in the outline that uh, drew you to this script? Why did you choose this particular episode to write? Well, I'm not sure. I, I, I went back and I looked at uh, the email I sent to... Uh, Jeffrey, because he asked, you know, which which episodes do you want to write? Um, it's entirely possible I threw out a bunch of numbers at random, to be perfectly honest with you. <laughs> it's like, eh, I'll write that one. Um, honestly, I can't recall. There wasn't uh, there wasn't anything in this particular script that said, oh, I gotta write that. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, now we're um, at Leo's place, yes. and we have Marcus Beatty playing Leo. Right. Thanks thanks for auditioning and coming in and doing a great job, Marcus. And we have Alicia Lane Matheson doing a great job as Madeline Gray. Hey. Yes. We're back on Earth as Maddie continues her her uh, quest to find the guy who smacked her father in the head and uh, damaged his brain. Yes. Right. And she's pretty darn sure that's you. Or, I'm sorry, not you, the character that you play. Right. Word travels fast. She's got to be right. Think every other member of my family. Oh, by this point, yeah. I mean, it would be silly otherwise. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Cops never prove that. Come on, Leo. Can we just get the bullshit from? And this is just, you know, Leo is. I was. It wasn't in the uh, in the outline. There wasn't anything about uh, what exactly she did in this episode to uh, look for. Uh, you know, to look for in her investigation, so I just have her talking to an old friend from uh, from high school, I guess. Right. Yeah. So did it say something like she continues her investigation? Yeah, that was pretty much it. Mm-hmm. So we have uh, we have Leo here. So that will give our audience an, an idea of the uh, the range and scope. You know that you have to write something about Madeline Gray continuing her investigation, but exactly what it is is up to you. It's a, it's a rough guideline. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Sometimes the outline's written in stone, and sometimes it's a rough guideline for us to fill in with words and sounds and things. And crazy stuff. And background music, like the song Punch Drunk, which is uh, occurring right now. I think, I hope that people can hear that. Is that another uh, David Alexander McDonald? Uh, yes, they're all David Alexander McDonald. And by the way, you can go to jumendo.com and download some of Mr. McDonald's music. Yes. How do you spell that, Pete? That is J-A-M-E-N-D-O. How's your mother doing? She's all right. Very good. J-A-M as in jam, E-N-D-O as in endoskeleton. Anyway. Thank you. That's very clear. And now we go to Regina's office, which used to be Tommy's office. And we have Jane Parrish as Regina and Andrew Eckhart as Roberts. Hello. Yeah. And the music playing on Regina's radio is a song called Selena. Okay. I know you are. I mean, we've met. So I don't know if that has anything to do with the um, the DC Universe or Earth P characters, but... Um, I've never used it myself, so... Yep. 
but uh, this scene, uh, I really liked writing this scene because it's uh, mm-hmm. it's the first time that Regina and Roberts are are meeting. Really, it's the first time she's meeting Roberts. You know, the complete and utter Roberts, as opposed to Debbie in Roberts's body or Betty in Roberts's body or one of the myriad of other people who uh, were walking around inside of his head. Right. And it was uh, it was kind of nice because he's it, you know they share a connection and he's he's attracted to her but he's not entirely sure why. So uh, and she's of course attracted to pretty much everything in pants it seems to me. Well, that's not fair. I mean, she's no. Well, I'm not trying to be fair. She's been attracted to to him and to Adam Shepard. I mean, come on, it's not like he's she's been pawing everybody else. I guess not. Socially acceptable businesses. A lot of that revenue was lost. It's in everyone's best interest to get that kingery. But it's kind of a nice, uh, and again, a nice awkward little uh, little scene for uh, for the two of them. And sort of sweet in a bad, wrong way. Yes. Yes, and very very sweet and awkward performances too. I like that. No, not you. So was this the easiest thing that you um, that you had to write when you were writing this script? No, I think the easiest thing to write was uh, the final scene, which will be coming up uh, shortly between okay. uh, Tommy and Major and uh, and Asa. Okay. And what about the hardest thing? What did you did you was there anything the you found thing, particularly hard? I think the hardest thing was probably writing uh, writing the uh, the Maddie and Leo scene because there's you know an awful lot of uh, an awful lot of continuity to get through in uh, in that. You know, you got to make sure that it lines up with everything that's gone before, and you know who is who's Maddie talking to? Is it somebody who has you know? Are we going over the same information again? So uh, that was uh, probably you know it wasn't a, it wasn't a very difficult script to write though. Mm-hmm. Okay, it, uh, it, it came out pretty quick. Okay. And so you found that a little bit more difficult than the other stuff, not so much because you were making up a new character, but because you you wanted to make sure that it wasn't, uh, yeah, um, that it that it fit into the whole. Uh, yeah, because yeah, because the uh, the other scenes, you know, the scene, you know, Debbie and Hooks and uh, and Tommy and Major and Regina and Roberts, those scenes are more about the interplay between the characters, and uh, the Maddie and Leo scene is, you know, you know. It's more of a more of an info dump than it is. Uh, that's you know that's you know moving the story forward, and you don't want it to just to just be dropping information in the audience's lap, you know, because you know you want it to be dramatically interesting. Right, so dramatic. It, right, dramatic, and not just. Uh, uh, so you have te- tedious exposition, right? So you have yeah. Matt. You know, you're sort of getting the view that nobody, nobody else really thinks that Tommy had anything to do with this, and you know, it's entirely possible that Maddie's on a witch hunt and uh, and she doesn't know. Yeah, what's the? Is, there's some famous saying: if th- if three people tell you that you're dead, it's time to lie down. Right. Or maybe it's sick. I don't know. So yeah, now Maddie is up to like thirty people telling her that they don't think that it was really Tommy. Have you been back to the church since well, I mean it's just so far she's only talked to uh well she's talked to a bunch of cops, I guess. And she'll yeah, and they her. haven't been telling her that she 
that he didn't do it. They've been telling her that she can't get a conviction. Right. I guess that's not quite the same thing. Exactly. And we return now to what was the, I believe it was called the Church of the Holy Lamb. That's right, the New Church of the Holy Lamb. New Church of the Holy Lamb. And now it's a homeless shelter. Right, and we have Carl Glassmeyer as Asa. We have Jack Kalk as homeless person, and he's been on the list. He's been very excited. He's been counting down the days till his premiere at the Kingery. So welcome, Jack. And... Pete Milan as Tommy Arkell and M. Sierra Garcia as Major. And the parenthetical that you wrote in the script for your own performance here of line 139 says, The numb, horror-struck voice of one who has seen great Cthulhu rising from the sea. <laughs> Something too horrible for the mind to grasp. And yet he just can't even deal with it. The church is a homeless shelter now. I don't understand what it is I'm looking at, but I know I hate it. <laughs> yes, I thought you did a great job with that that line read. Thank you very much. You're welcome. And uh, this scene was, I think it was the first thing I wrote for this script, actually. Ah. It's, uh, this little rant of Tommy's that you know, sort of shows where his moral line is. Right, and where Major's, Major's moral line is, because she's saying, we're all about wrong. I love that line. But, you know, she sort of has her own, uh, her own moral, uh, moral reasons for, for carrying out this, uh, this theft in the first place. That's right. And it's, it's when, you, when, when she says it, it's not just, you know, something she's spinning off the top of her head. It actually does make sense. Yeah, yeah. And um, at the beginning of the scene, I had some uh, sort of gushy, sloppy noises as we as uh, Asa was dishing up the chili or something, and um, I couldn't find good um, dishing up horrible-sounding food noises. So I found some horror blood splatters uh, from the you know horror and terror part of the sound effects collection and um i use those and hopefully that works and hopefully uh people aren't eating as they hear this right now hopefully hopefully and i love m Sierra garcia's <laughs> performance of this particular line where she's mimicking regina praying i this is the most uh, you know M. Sierra is so much fun to uh, to get all the takes and to listen to everything that's going on. She works so hard at making sure that she's giving her directors um, uh, choices and meaningful differences. It's it's not like she um, she doesn't just crank them out. She doesn't just crank them out, and she doesn't give you several different renditions with minor variances, right? It's like uh, I've heard her say, you know, damn it, it all sounds the same. And, you know, think about it and work really hard at coming up with a different interpretation of the line. And 
this is the one that I thought was just the craziest, most over the top, most, you know, with her voice trembling and cracking and all that stuff. And I just thought that was hysterical, so I threw it in. I think it's the most over the top major's ever been. Yes. Yeah, we, uh, we rehearsed this. Uh, we do rehearsals for Batman, and now we do, uh, the two of us do uh, rehearsals for uh, Kingery as well whenever we have a Tommy and Major scene, which is uh-huh. pretty much every episode. Pretty much every episode since they started talking to one another a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Everybody likes how that works, and it seems like that's a, a fun and easy thing for all the writers to write. They've, they've, yeah. got, they've got the two characters and their voices, and so it's easy to spin stuff out. Well, I think it's working great, the rehearsals yes. that you guys are doing. It is, it is. And I, you got to love uh, Carl Glassmeyer here doing, uh, doing Asa. I, I, I just have this vision of Asa. In my head, Asa looks like, uh, you know, the, the Prospector character from Toy Story 2. He's just walking around with a, bit, with a giant pickaxe on his shoulder. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I loved your line after... Uh, Major does. Major imitates Regina praying, and you're just a, a very, very dry line. You haven't been to church lately, have you? I thought, thought that was lovely. Uh, and this is my favorite. Uh, this is probably my favorite bit coming up, where uh, Major, you know, really makes her pitch. Okay. Yeah. all our problems go away. This gets you the Kimberly back. This gets rid of your mother. And, and plus, no disrespect, all right? I am sick of gimping around on this uncomfortable ass piece of metal. It itches. Yeah, Major's leg. I think that was my major uh, contribution to the uh, to the Kingery mythos this year. Yes. Because they mentioned, uh, you know, they mentioned in the first script that uh, she was walking around with a metal leg, and I wrote to Jeffrey. I said, "Well, after after I didn't realize it in the chat." And I wrote to him later. You know, we we live in a future in this show where you know you can replace, you can change your gender at will, and you know put your mind in another body. They've got to have figured out growing back limbs by now. So that's sort of become a uh, you know sort of a symbol of the Arkell family's fallen fortunes that they can't afford to get uh, major a proper leg. Right. Right. It's great. And we keep making reference to the fact that major has a. Uh, has a uh, very busy social life when she's not uh, following Tommy around. Right. And right now we hear the theme music, and that means it's time to go. Bruce Busby is doing a great job reading the credits. Thank you, Bruce. And kudos to everyone who contributed to this episode. Yes, thank you all very much. Any last thoughts, Pete? Uh... Always remember the camera adds 10 pounds. That's right. That's all I've got, folks. He, he keeps asking me questions off the top of my head. Go! Oh, I got nothing! Yes, well, and that's because I've got nothing. That's why I keep asking all the questions. Yes. All right. See everybody next week. Uh, I'm sorry, month. <laughs> Bye now. See you next time, folks. Macala Eaton, John Harden, and Teresa J. McGarry. Copyright 2009, Pendant Productions. For more information, visit PendantAudio.com. Thanks for listening.